This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. Hello and welcome to this mini masterclass, a very special edition of a mini masterclass from Westwards. My name is James Roy, I'm the producer at Westwards, and I am your host. Well, I'm going to be your host very briefly because basically I'm going to introduce this and then sit back and let someone else do all the talking. We're going to be hearing today from Kavita Bedford. Kavita Bedford is one of two young Western Sydney women who were successful applicants for the Westwards Western Sydney University Write in Residence Program. It's the first year we've done it, and it was done with the very generous assistance of Copyright Agency Limited, the Cultural Fund, and we're very grateful for their support in helping this collaboration between two institutions take place. Now, what Kavita and Rawa both did was work on novels that they have been uh, working on for a while, but it's also been an opportunity for them to gain some skills, both as teachers and as researchers and uh, as presenters as well. So it's been... Uh, terrific to watch both of them develop further in their in their chosen career as being writers and we wish them all the best as they go forward. Now on Kavita's recommendation and also uh, with, with her help we approached James and Ashley from the podcast James and Ashley Stay at Home. That's what you would search for in any of your podcast uh, aggregators or you can go to James and Ashley A-S-H-L-E-Y dot Libsyn L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com and you'll find their podcast there. Now, James and Ashley are James Mackenzie Watson, who lives in regional New South Wales, and he is a, a fiction writer. He writes short and novel-length fiction. He's been a Varuna resident. He also had a Catherine Susan Pritchard Fellowship in Western Australia. His short fiction has been recognised in competitions, including Ink Tears, Flash Fiction, and the Grieve Writing Competition. And he's been in publications such as Baby Tooth Journal and Brave Voices Magazine. And Ashley Kalagian Blunt is an author of two books, How to Be an Australian, a memoir, and My Name is Revenge, which is a thriller novella, and Collected Essays. Uh, she has been shortlisted for such awards as the Wallara Digital Literary Awards uh, and the Carmel Bird Digital Literary Award. She's been published in uh, Griffith Review, Sydney Review of Books, Big Issue, Westerly, Kill Your Darlings, and so forth, and she lives in Sydney. And James and Ashley, as a result of the COVID pandemic, got to stay at home, well, like the rest of us, but partly because there was a pandemic, but partly because they were, they're writers, and so they got to work from home, and partly because of their health. And so what we have here is a fantastic podcast that is full of these really terrific interviews with all sorts of very successful writers. Uh, let's run through a couple of the uh, people that they've had interviews with, Emily Maguire, Luke Stegeman, David Van. Uh, Josephine Taylor, Danny V, Nadi Simpson, who is uh, a friend of Westwood as well, a recent uh, release, Song of a Crocodile, is very good indeed, Ada Palmer, and so forth. So what we have here is a really terrific podcast that anyone who's interested in, in literature and Australian writing should go and check out. It's a lovely conversational podcast. There's also some book reviews in there, and I really enjoy the way they interview people. So it's the James and Ashley Stay at Home podcast. I'm not going to say much more about anything, really. I'm going to let them do all the introducing of Kavita and her book and talk to her about it. And uh, please enjoy. 
Friends and Dark Shapes is a fascinating examination of loneliness and isolation in Sydney uh, for millennials in Sydney specifically, which is a space that both Ashley and I are very familiar with, um, and specifically looking at grief and how grief interacts with that fractured sense of identity that's almost inevitable in a big, bustling city like Sydney. Bedford is an Australian Indian writer who has been published in The Guardian, Guernica, and Griffith Review. Her debut novel, Friends and Dark Shapes, was written as a love letter to Sydney, where she lives and works. The book has been described as a beautiful, strong, complicated millennial novel. It's out now in Australia and will be available in the US in April. Welcome, Kavita, and thank you so much for being here. Hi, Ashley. Hi, James. Thanks so much for having me. Kavita, I wanted to start with a slightly odd question. What's a sea creature day? Oh, in the book. <laughs> so a sea creature day was about kind of the subterranean shapes and feelings that occur. So in the book, the father has these days where he kind of calls them to his child or to the protagonist, sea creature days, because they're days when things that kind of lurk beneath the surface start to come up and feel a little stronger in the day-to-day life than they normally do. So it was kind of a, yeah, it was like a reflection or a kind of ode to that feeling when sometimes we can't keep things hidden like the way we want to. I thought that term, a sea creature day, was such a beautiful term. And I think that's something that's going to really stick with me for a long time. So can you tell us more broadly, what is Friends in Dark Shapes about and how did you come to write it? So Friends in Dark Shapes is a book about a young protagonist And she moves into a share house and it's set over one year, this share house in Sydney. And it follows, she's just grieving one year after her father has passed away. And it sort of follows the contours and the shapes and the lives of the people in the share house. But I think more broadly, it's looking at kind of ideas of disconnection and loneliness in a city and the way that we don't necessarily know how to talk about grief. Uh, So a lot of the characters outside that she meets are kind of, you know, Uber drivers and bartenders and people on the streets that she talks to um, who've all kind of lost in very different ways. And I think in big cities where, you know, we're all butting up against each other in this daily way and people have lost on very, very different levels, especially where you have sort of people living in the margins or, you know, a lot of migrants and refugees. And so she kind of, it's these kind of, part sort of um, walks and moments through Sydney where people are also revealing these different depths of loss because they often feel that they can't necessarily talk to each other about uh, grief or loss. It's a beautiful book about grief. I feel like grief is the core of the book and it oozes with a power and a realism that I imagine you know, can only be genuine. How did you find the process of writing about grief? Was it a therapeutic process for you? Yeah, in a lot of ways. I think um, when I first began, the first draft of the book actually was very different and it was much darker. And it was almost that feeling of needing to get, what I learnt later was to get all of those uh, emotions out. It was quite intense as well, Um, but it wasn't very layered in in the different emotional levels. Um, 
And when I kind of came to rewriting it, I realized, you know, grief is such a slippery, tricky thing. And the thing is, you do have moments of lightness and laughter within it. Um, it's not this kind of one track uh, emotion. So when I came to the process after sort of, you know, I, I had a first draft that just didn't work. And then when I came to rewriting it, which was really difficult to make the decision to do, but I realized a lot of it needed this, I, I guess, this kind of tool of the of the share house um, to kind of lighten the load and to have some conversations with people that are kind of peers and a, a little bit more lighthearted and joyous, but also to offset then what people feel that they're losing. Um, and it needs that back and forth between, you know, it's such an interchange between humor and play and lightness and loss and darkness and depth um so that I found once I kind of understood that within myself it made the writing process also a lot more enjoyable and and kind of a bit more on that cathartic level than just writing it from one place which felt like darkness it feels like a very well, maybe this is just because you're very skilled at writing so genuinely and in such a raw way. It felt like a very a very genuine, very autobiographical book. Is it autobiographical in the sense of the grief? In the sense of the grief, yes. Um, I think a lot of the other parts are fiction um, in terms of characters and the, you know, there's so much of a, what people often don't realise is, you know, there's so much crafting going in writing. Like there's nothing that goes in by accident mm-hmm. and you're doing such a, long process of editing and curating that to say something is autobiography or memoir or um, it just in this particular case anyway it just can't be it's so heavily curated but in terms of uh, wanting to talk about and understand grief yeah I lost my father and it's definitely an ode to him in so many ways um, and it was coming from that place. And, you know, we often write out of the depths of what we're, own, where we're trying to search for. And I think I was trying to search for understanding of loss and, you know, the why does this have to happen kind of question. Um, and it was through writing it. But for me, and it's interesting because it began a little bit more in a kind of memoir style, but... I felt I was able to tell truths in fiction that I couldn't in nonfiction. And it freed me up to be able to actually talk about and write about grief from different viewpoints as well as my own. Kavita, would you be willing to read from page 110 for us? Sure. Chapter 27. Katie and I are sitting on the grassy knoll in North Bondi midweek on one of the last days of summer and labradoodles and beautiful people lounge around on the beach below. Why don't any of these people work, I ask her. I realise we are also at the beach in the middle of the week, and we are also both currently semi-employed, but beneath our sunglasses we are both stressed about it, and somehow these people seem different, laughing with ease as though daily life is filtered Instagram light, salty ocean sprays and midweek lunches. Trust fun babies, she says, peering over her glasses. Wouldn't it be nice, though, to just once live by the sparkling ocean this city is known for, I say? I would love to see Sydney as a stranger for the first time. Be like a tourist and drive down from the city and see that magical dip of the ocean and the frangipani trees hugging the coastline and the surfers riding the waves as smooth as oil and think, maybe here my life could change. 
Oh, that's fantastic. That passage really resonated with me. And I wanted to pull that one out. This is a book of big, complex emotions. We talked about the the aspects of grief, but then another really big part of the book is this millennial feel, being a young person in Sydney, in a city that's you know one of the most expensive cities in, in the world, in a city where you, there, you do have all these tourists who come and see the city in such a different way than someone raised here would see it as, as that passage explored. And I wondered if you could t- talk about the process of exploring all those feelings on the page, like the pulling in like all these different aspects of the book mm. and, and how you went about that. Yeah, I, I love that question. Um, I think Sydney is such an interesting place, partly because of its geography and it's such a sprawling urban landscape mm. and people tend to be segregated whether they want to or not. But, you know, with the fact that it takes just so long to drive from one end of the city to the other. And we have these pockets where people don't tend to either leave or, you know, you often get people who spend their time on the north side and, and don't really know much about the inner west or people from the inner west and know very little about the west. Um, and I've always found that really fascinating in, a, in our own city and I suppose partly through previous jobs that I had, um, working in journalism, and I was also running a few storytelling projects that dealt with different areas of Sydney. I found myself travelling around um, parts of Sydney and when my dad was ill, actually, I had really wanted to be living abroad. Um, mm. I'd kind of gone quite ready to do that. And I suddenly was finding myself staying in Sydney, which was my choice and what I wanted to do. But, you know, I was in my late 20s and there was a restlessness within me. I wanted to be in foreign countries. And so I took to exploring Sydney a lot. And that kind of fed into a lot of the book because I saw the way that we don't almost talk across the different sections of Sydney. It's mm. like sort of going almost to slightly different countries. Um, and that felt really nice being a traveller and being a tourist in my own city. But of course, I was an insider. And I guess it made me think a lot about, you know, what does it mean to write about your own city? And what is the difference between being an outsider and writing from that perspective and being an insider but who doesn't necessarily feel like they belong either. Um, and I think, you know, and I know you've you've tackled a lot of this work stuff as well, these topics in your work, and I think it's really fascinating when you turn that lens to your own city. Um, I think I'd always sort of assumed somehow that I was going to be writing about other places. And mm. when I started to write about my own city, there was such a such an initial outpouring of emotion that I wasn't expecting actually um, oh wow yeah and and some of it was a lot of hurt and anger and not not positive feelings um but also a lot of it was kind of a beauty and a realization about depths and roots and you know various histories um but yeah it kind of struck me that that you don't have necessarily you don't have these kind of personal histories on each pocket of a street or a lamppost or you don't you know all these moments and these memories and I think it's the memories that make up a place as much as the place itself um and so what I kind of became quite interested in which is so much of what the book is about is what happens when we start mapping our memories onto a city right and the idea of who forms who does the city form a person or do we form a city 
and these were themes that I had already been exploring through. I did a lot of anthropology of the city in my studies, but then understanding it on a personal level and exploring it through the novel was a, was something that really drove me to also write the novel as much as it was about grief. It was about memory and cities. It's really interesting that you should talk about Sydney being, you know, so segregated and people staying in their own areas because I lived in Sydney for seven years. I lived in on the North Shore the whole time I was there, so North Sydney and Atalman and Lane Cove, those kind of areas. And the Sydney that you describe in the book is somewhere I visited a lot, but it's somewhere that's quite unfamiliar to me because it's so different to the Sydney that I knew in the city that I lived in, which is fascinating because they're, you know, they're, what, 10 kilometres from each other. There's just the harbour between them. It's amazing. Yeah. I wondered if your relationship to Sydney as a city has changed in the process of thinking about this and exploring this. Does it does it still feel like a very segregated, separated, fractured city, or does it feel more united for having considered it from all these different perspectives? Um, so I think there's, yeah, from a personal level and then what is actually happening. Um, I think the city itself... From a product of geography, it still feels somewhat segregated. Um, but I know from a personal level, I felt like I wrote my way into loving this city. And that was really huge. I, I think I, for various reasons, really didn't want to be here when I was writing the novel. Right. Um, and I struggled with being here a lot. Um, for personal reasons as much as other things going on. You know, it's a whole layered set of complexities and I think also just coming of age and growing up. And um, But also because I saw too many, I saw too many sad memories at the time right. and I was feeling quite claustrophobic in a city where everywhere I turned it felt like I'd lost something. Mm. Um, and I sort of had this feeling of I don't know how I'm ever going to be here or remain here. There's too much loss. And I think I wasn't expecting it, but where the book took me was to actually understanding how important it is to embed those stories and that loss is a huge part of gaining things as well. And from loss comes an understanding of love and, you know, that we lose as much as we love as well. Um, And that I didn't necessarily want to turn my back or, put things down to just being negative and I think you know so we just anyway as humans and and in society you know we don't know how to I think talk about and bring loss and grief into a kind of space where it's really understood as the fabric of life. Mm. And that's explored on so many different levels and layers in the book as well because it's not just the the protagonist, the narrator's personal journey, but there's also the themes, you know, there's an exploration of um, refugees um, and how refugees have shaped Sydney's identity, particularly the west western parts of Sydney's identity, but then there's also, you know, colonisation and invasion and all the um, all the, the, the trauma and baggage that that carries with it and how that shaped the city. You know, there's some really interesting parallels between Sydney's identity and Sydney's place in history and culture and that personal story of loss and grief. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Um, And I think that's why I really wanted to explore and I kind of wanted a group of millennials, um, partly obviously being at the time from that generation, but actually because I wanted to explore gentrification and what does it mean to live in a city where it's changing so fast before your eyes. Mm. And the fact that I think, again, it's not, you know, it's hardly unique to Sydney. 
Um, this is something that cities all around the world, Western, you know, social democratic cities around the world are really facing. And that was something that really interested me because I think we are living in spaces where, you know, there's not a clean, clear answer. And, you know, this idea of trying to find someone who's at fault when you've lost something was a very big topic in the book as well. Like I feel as if when we go through loss and whether it's losing um, housing, losing real estate, losing for a lot of millennials the dream of what they believe they were promised, mm. um, for people who had been were earlier migrants, the idea that they might be losing the things that they'd worked hard for, losing respect, losing the country they'd come from, losing people, community. Um, there's often a real desire to find someone or something to blame for that. And I guess those were things I also wanted to explore, which is why I sort of chose the area of Redfin in Sydney um, because it's so politicised and it's one of those areas where I feel like what is, you know, it has obviously certain unique features, the fact that as well it's dealing with Indigenous history. Um, but in other ways, there is so much of what is occurring there and this rubbing up against um, with different communities, people, socioeconomic factors that I that is occurring across the world and causing huge frictions. And you bring that all into the book so powerfully. It's it's a, it's a very layered book. Um, but now you're working on your second book. So I wanted to ask, how has your writing process developed since the first book? And what advice might you have for other creatives who are who are working on their first book? Anything you wish you knew when you could go back and tell yourself? I think it might be a bit like if you knew you wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, that's such, <laughs> I didn't know it would take so long. I didn't know it would be so hard. <laughs> um, but I also... I think I should probably come up with something a bit more positive than that. Um, <laughs> well, you said it took five years for the first book. Yeah, it took five years for the first, well, for this book. Um, I think like so many creative processes, it's working in tandem with our process of self. And mm. there was so much self-work <laughs> and self-actualization and um needing to talk to the self actually and and work around ego and being okay with failure and understanding how to make something that isn't necessarily asked for in the world. Mm. Um, these were things I was grappling with on a private level that I feel like ran in tandem to the book and as these were things that I started to understand in myself and come to a place of more, I guess, abundance and understanding that some of these outcomes and the ways we've been sort of conditioned to think everything has to have this use or this outcome or this success, um, the more I became comfortable with that not needing to be the purpose or the focus of it, the better my writing became. And I feel like it was this process of undoing that helped the practice of writing become 
something I thought a lot when I was reading the book was, you know, the, there were a lot of really beautiful sentences and conclusions, you know, that you kind of drew to what the character was witnessing and describing inside herself um, and the realizations she was coming to that felt very hard one. And again, like I said before, felt very authentic. I imagine that this is the kind of book that you yourself would have got so much from writing, irregardless of, you know, anything external, publication or success or whatever, you know, both of which it's had, obviously, which is fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, it's a wonderful (laughs) byproduct. I know that for me, writing is therapy. I write to understand myself better. I write to understand my own thoughts and emotions better. And so I find that the the act of writing and the process of writing, the therapeutic benefits of that are, are as wonderful as anything else that might come from it. And this book has that really personal, raw, um, you know, intimate feel of something that must have been painful and powerful to write because it's so painful and powerful to read. Does it feel like that to you? Like that, you know, that you've gained something from writing it that um, makes whatever else happens beyond this irrelevant? Yes, is the short answer that has happened. And I think that place now within is where I feel much more comfortable writing from. It's almost as if I don't think I could have become a writer without having gone through so many of those moments that felt like failures um, or that felt like really hard done by moments um, but that they've definitely yeah through internalizing and understanding them Um, I think the point you make about I think there's definitely that I think there's two stages right with so much of work that we want out in the public world there's writing for therapy and that's so important and that's a really huge part but you know I think when we want it to be shared with the world, it often also has to transcend that self-therapy space. Mm -hmm. And it has to be something that I guess how I think of it is a bit more of a gift or somehow more generous um, than just assuming people will read your diary and get exactly what you, how you perceive the world. And I think that was something that was a really huge moment and a clicking moment for me. I felt like my first draft was more in the space of therapy or a self kind of diary. And I think there was this huge shift in understanding if I also am trying to make something to connect with other people and to be read and shared and to hopefully understood, but, you know, that is also giving something to other people it needs to transcend therapy or needs to transcend just that self moment. I think that's really well said, Kavita. Thank you. We're wondering what authors that you feel have most influenced your writing, particularly in terms of this first book. Oh, so many. And I mean, (laughs) and that's the kind of beautiful thing about, you know, it taking so long is you go through so many stages of Mm. obsessing about different writers and learning so many different things from them. And um, I mean, I guess, you know, I've now thought of my answer to your previous question in terms of advice to other people is just to absolutely read, 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 read. Oh, I love that. Oh, like there is nothing more. And I think we spend so long sometimes as writers thinking I've got to be doing all the writing or all the work. And it's so important that these are your colleagues. These are your mentors. This is what's going to teach you. Um, So for me, reading is the answer to everything and to every issue that I've kind of had or little sticking points I find if I switch gear and read for a while something comes um so I mean so many 
I think I was reading a lot of, so I was reading a lot of city writers. Um, I was reading a lot of Valeria Luiselli, who is a Mexican and American writer, mm-hmm. um, which has beautiful work called Sidewalks, uh, which are kind of philosophical thoughts through a city. Um, I was reading Teju Cole at the time. I was reading some of Olivia Lang. Um, I was trying to understand these different perspectives of being a woman, being a person of colour, walking through cityscapes. Um, I then also became very obsessed later with the kind of what's being termed as autofiction. I was reading a lot of Sheila Hetty. I was reading Rachel Cusk. I was reading um, Jenny Offal. I was reading, yeah, a lot of these works. I was reading Elizabeth Strout for Structure. Um, she has these beautiful short, short chapters. Um, I was reading so many people to look at form and how I wanted to, uh, as you know, the chapters are very short in my book. Mm-hmm. And I was so intrigued by writers who were writing in short forms that escalated and and created momentum and didn't seemingly have a plot but had these very strong internal logics to them that you kind of almost against your noticing you'd been taken to a place. Um, so I found a lot of those writers really instrumental in the work I was doing. Um, it's so interesting hearing you share those because of those, you know, of the writers that I'm familiar with of, of that list, I can, I can see how they have influenced your work, like the book, like it is like this wonderful, like intertextual conversation with, with all of those writers. So that's, that's amazing. That's really wonderful to hear you share those. Oh, that's beautiful. So Kavita, thank you so much for being here and congratulations on the publication of Friends and Dark Shapes. We will link to uh, the book in the show notes so everyone can check it out. We highly recommend it. So thank you again. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, Kavita, and uh, good luck with your next book. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you, James. So that was James and Ashley from the James and Ashley Stay at Home podcast. Uh, go and check it out. They've got a, one, a whole bunch of wonderful interviews there with some really terrific writers, and they've got some good views of their own and some good reviews. And, of course, Kavita Bedford, whose book Friends in Dark Shapes has just been uh, released by Text Publishing in Australia, and there'll be some details about that in the show notes at the bottom. So that's it from us for this week. We'll see you in about a week for, with another mini masterclass. But until then, happy creating. Happy creating.